Hey, it's Scott Petrick. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. I'm again joined by good buddy Dave Chodowski of WKYC's Morning News. Dave, we got a lot to talk about again. You ready to get going? I am so ready, Scott. I mean, you said it last week. I mean, we can always talk Browns. Browns fans love to do it all the time, but I feel like there's actually, you know, you have something even extra special in the air with the draft coming up and Cleveland's going to be in the spotlight. We talked about it on the morning show today. Uh, the the draft stage, how huge it is. Have you seen it? I mean, it is incredible downtown right now. Yeah, I've only seen it on uh, video and pictures. I need to get down there and I'm actually headed downtown today. There's a Miles Garrett event. Um, so I'm going to drive by just because I want to see it firsthand. And, yeah, and it's just so cool. There's so much going on. There's you know, other aspects to the draft, you know, the Browns are doing a bunch of events. The sports commission's doing a bunch of events to try to increase awareness for a bunch of different areas with, whether it's social justice or equality, the Browns are going to break ground on another new field at Shaw high school. So it's just a huge event for the city and it's a boost for the economy, you know, whether or not it's at the maximum capacity that it would be in a normal year, um, David Gilbert keeps saying that it's such a boost given how down restaurants and hotels have been for the last, what, 12, 13 months, that just having any kind of kind of injection of new money and new activity will be huge for the city. Boy, you're right about that. You just said 12 or 13 months, and it, it just made me think of this morning. We were back, Scott, in Studio A, the full team. Maureen, Holly, Danielle, and I all in Studio A today. And the last time we were all in there together was 13 months ago. It's incredible to think that, you know, the pandemic, when it first happened, that it would take this long. And we're still not even back to normal, obviously. I mean, there's still a ways to go. So you're right. It's a bummer that, you know, it, we're not going to, you know, have all those people like you saw uh, two years ago was in Nashville, right? Yep. Yep. You know, we won't have that, but you're right. It, it's so electric for the community. And we were talking about it on the morning show today about, uh, you know, giving back to the community and, and with the NFL, it's going to be huge. So, uh, and if you're, you're wondering, if, if you're wondering where I went doing sports for the last few years, I've been on the morning show anchoring the morning news. We call it go from uh, 4.30 to 7 a.m. It's a totally different uh, <laughs> animal, Scott, waking up in the morning. So I used to go to bed at that time, you know, you used to come on the sports Sunday show with me. And, uh, you know, it's so great to be, talking sports with you again. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a great time. It is. Yeah. Your hours make it tough for me to see you on TV, Dave. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not usually up by uh, seven o'clock in the morning, but I try to keep track with uh, social media and et cetera, obviously. And we talk, um, but yeah, there's just, you know, with the draft and everything, it's not only the draft. The Browns started their off season program this week, albeit virtually, but you know, not only do we have draft talk, we have Browns talk. We have a Sheldon Richardson released last week. There's always something going on. And it feels like even though we're, what, five months away from week one, give or take, um, it, it feels like Browns, the Browns offseason continues to ramp up. Yeah, it does. And the NFL does such a good job of, of staying in the limelight all year long. You bring up the offseason program. What does that entail? And, and it's different now, right? I mean, the, the virtual and, you know, Stefanski was talking, you guys peppered him with questions the other day on it. And uh, I'm trying to, you know, read the tea leaves here. 
I mean, are they upset that it's virtual? Are they accepting of it? You know, what, what, what's the deal when it comes to that? Because uh, the players will not be there in person, right? Yeah. Well, for the first month, there's a whole, there's a ton of layers to this and, you know, we're still in the pandemic and that's what the NFLPA, the union keeps stressing is we can't go back to normal. So the NFL tweaked their offseason, the rules for the offseason program. So the first month, and it started Monday. So the first month, it's all virtual. So I think it's four days a week. You can meet two hours a day with your coaches and the players uh, on Zoom or whatever platform, but all virtual. And last year, the entire offseason program was virtual. Mandatory minicamp, everything, right? The Stefanski didn't get in front of his players until they reported for training camp you know, I think that late July, early August. Can we so, do that again, by the way? If we're going to go 11 and five, let's just right, do that again. Right. <laughs> well, well, I mean, that's what J.C. Treader says, right? He's the Brown Center, the, you know, the NFOPA president. He says the league, the, product, the product was fine. He points to, you know, fewer missed tackles and scoring was up and fewer penalties and injuries were down and games were closer as evidence that, you don't need to show up in April and May in practice. He says it opens the door for more injuries. So it's kind of like a dual track that the union is arguing. They're saying, one, we're not out of the pandemic. Guys don't want to come in and get tested every day. They don't need to be there. And on the other kind of platform is or train track is, we don't think the Austin program is necessary to begin with. And we really, that was really proven a year ago. So, the NFLPA has asked players and talked to players about they don't like the word boycotting, so skipping the voluntary portions of the offseason program. And for the entire league, that's everything but a mini camp in either late May or early June. So the league is not ready to go there. And they say starting March or starting May 17th, teams are allowed to have on-field drills, right? Players can come in on-field drills. The week later, you start OTAs, which is actual practice on the field, including the mandatory minicamp. So the Browns are one of many teams that have said, we're not going to participate in the voluntary in-person workouts. They're just going to do the virtual you know, classroom stuff, going over the playbook, those kind of things. And it, I think it puts the Browns and Kevin Stefanski in a tough spot because as Stefanski said, coaches want to coach, right? They want to see their players on the field and they feel like it helps preparation, right? The more you can practice, the more you see your guys, you're better off. But they have J.C. Treader, who's a well-respected member of this team. And he's telling his players and the players have agreed, we're not going to go. So does Stefanski and the Bronx, do they make a stink about, hey, on May 17th, we want you to be here? Or do they say, hey, that's fine. If nobody's coming anyway, we're not going to put anyone in an awkward situation. We're not going to have these workouts and practices in case a player, you know, a rookie wants to show up or a guy that feels like, you know, he's trying to earn a spot, a guy that's well off the radar. You know, do you still have the, do you still host these practices and workouts and, you know, hope that a few guys show up or do you just try to take that out of the equation and say, okay, we respect the players were not going to have these workouts. And then what do you do for mandatory minicamp? Like the league says you should host these. Do the Browns 
kind of go against the league and say, no, we're going to cancel them and give in to the union, you know, or do you make guys show up for three days, even though you haven't had any kind of warm up or practices. So I don't think you get a whole lot of whole lot out of three days, right? It's not like there's a buildup like there normally is. So I, I think it's in an interesting spot. I think the Browns are in an interesting spot and Kevin Stefanski would not go there. Like we asked multiple ways, oh. are you going to have the mini camp or you're not? And he said, hey, we're focused on right now. And right now is virtual. Um, so I'm kind of – I'm interested to see how that all plays out. In your opinion, because you've seen so many of these, I mean, I, I, I don't know exactly what the number is, but you've been there a long, long time. In your opinion, do you think that – which side do you go with? Do you, do you feel like they need to be there or they don't? I'm going to say they don't need to be there. Now, I, I think there's value. I think if you're a young quarterback, the more you're face-to-face with your coach, uh, the more you're on the field, you know, just seeing the seeing the players run their routes, right? It's different than seeing it all on Zoom and just seeing X's and O's versus, you know, the Jimmys and the Joes, actually seeing Odell and Jarvis run routes. Whether or not it's high speed, whether or not it's 11 on 11, I, I think there is benefit to that. Um do I think you need to be there, you know, from April 17th to June 15th? No. Um, I, I understand why coaches value that. But here, the bottom line is the collective bargaining agreement states these rules, and it was only agreed upon a year ago. So as long as this is in place, I, I think the union's going to have a difficult time kind of overhauling the system. I think the co- the lingering COVID pandemic gives them wiggle room this year for guys to say, hey, that's why we're not showing up. And I understand that and I agree with that. But if you're talking long term, if we get back to normal, when we get back to normal, I think the union is in a spot where they signed the CBA, they agreed to this structure. Now, guys can still say we're not going to show up for the voluntary. Um, but there's pressure there, right? There's pressure from teams. There's pressure personally thinking I'm falling behind. And I asked JC Treader this once, because he's been bringing this up for months now. The fact that he thinks the offseason program is pointless. And he actually thinks it's, what word am I like, like detrimental for players, right? He thinks mm-hmm. guys get hurt. And if you get hurt in the offseason, your chances of making the team go way down, according to JC and the union. So I asked him, I said, Guys are working out anyway, right? All we see is Odell. I mean, I know Odell's rehabbing, but we see plenty of guys, Mac Wilson, working out all the time, David Njoku, right? So if guys are working out on their own anyway, then what's the difference in being in Berea, right? How does that change anything? And his point was, as soon as you put a date on it, right, April 17th, May 1st, whatever that day is, players feel then that they must be in peak condition when they show back up because they want to impress the coaches and they don't want to look like they're out of shape. And he said, we just got done playing in the middle of January. And to ask us to be back in the middle of April, it means I can't take the downtime I need to recover because I feel the pressure to get back and be in shape. And he thinks that leads to more injuries and shortens careers. So I understand that part of it. I really do. Um, but I think the union's in a little bit of a difficult spot given that CBA says what it says, given that teams and coaches are used to having these guys around as much as they are. 
Um, I just think, I think it's interesting. And, you know, yesterday the league kind of hit back on JC and the union because JC has been putting out all this injury data, right? There were 23% less missed time injuries last year. Guys missed 23% less time with injuries. And he pointed to, you know, no off-season program, um, no preseason, different structure to training camp. And the league shot back that it thought the data was flawed. And, you know, I think part of it is, well, of course, numbers are going to be down if we didn't have a preseason, right? I mean, that's just, you know, if we never played games, injuries would be down too. So uh, there's a lot to kind of go over with this. Um, and, and I'm fascinated to see how it plays out long-term. I, I think for this season, we might not have any Browns in Berea, or at least not the majority of Browns in Berea until we get to training camp. Wow. That's incredible insight. That really is interesting to uh, follow along there. Uh, last Thursday, when we talked, we had no idea that the next day the Browns would pull the old Friday dump. And by that, I mean, you know, the news dump, right? At kind of the end of the news cycle on a Friday, Sheldon Richardson, uh, they, they say goodbye to him. Your thoughts on that? Were you surprised? Do you agree with the move? I, I was a little bit surprised, Dave. I, I heard rumblings and, you know, anytime you sign a player like they did with Jadavian Clowney, right? And you're adding now Jadavian Clowney, this cap hit is not big for 2021 at all. at all. But when you add him, um, you know, it's another guy across the defensive line. It's more cash, right? You're paying the guy $8 million for 2021. You think, okay, is a domino going to fall because of that? Now the Browns still had $10 million in salary cap space. So they did not need to make the move. They did with Richardson. However, you know, it's, and I, I hate to lump everything into analytics, but right. It's Paul DePodesto and Bobby DePodesta and Andrew Barry, and they want to control or manage the salary cap. And part of that is having room to work with at all times. And the other part is I don't think they ever wanted to pay a defensive tackle $12 million. And or I think it's $11 million. And when you look at Richardson, you know, John Dorsey, the former GM brought Richardson in. So I think Barry was, you know, Andrew Barry was happy to have him last year. I think Richardson's productive, but when you take a step back, it's not in their philosophy to pay a D tackle that much money. So if you didn't need to, and you have some options along your D line and you can create, some flexibility in your salary cap and save $11 million in cash. I, I think the Browns just thought that that was the wise move. Obviously, in my opinion, it doesn't help them in 2021, right? Unless Richardson comes back, which, you know, I know they're leaving the door open, but he would have to not get any other offers, right? He would does have this, to hit. Does this have anything to do with the, the contracts that they will be facing in the future with Baker and Chubb and, and Ward? I think it does, Dave. I think when I talk about cap flexibility, that's part of it. And it's, okay. it's whether or not, a, you know, whether or not a free agent becomes available and man, you want to sign him right away, but you don't have the money or, Hey, we always want to have roll over some cap space just so we have extra. And this would allow them to do that. Or Baker's coming up, Denzel Ward's coming up, Nick Chubb, all these guys are eligible for extensions right now. And going from 10 to $20 million in salary cap space, which is what happened with the Richardson release. 
I think that opens the door for those. And, you know, let's say they agree to a deal with Baker tomorrow. I don't think it'll happen tomorrow, but whenever it does, right. If it happens in June or July, instead of having to make a move then and maybe cut Sheldon Richardson, then do it now, create that flexibility. So that's what they did. Now they're not as good a team because Sheldon Richardson is a highly productive player, but philosophically I understand why they made the move. Was it 11 or 12 million? Explain that. It was, yeah, it's the contract, you know, you see all these different numbers everywhere. The contract wound up being, he was going to get $11 million in 2021. That's a salary that he was going to get. So they saved that in cash. Now, as far as the cap, there's a $1.66 million dead dead hit because of bonuses that had been paid out, but they wind up saving 10 million in cap space because it's, you know, it's 11 million, I think minus what the replacement is, right? So you don't just remove a player from your salary cap. There's another guy that becomes part of the 50 top 51 guys that enter into the formula. So you take 11 million minus whatever that number 51 guy is, and it gives you a 10 plus million dollar savings in the cap. And you know, that's big, right? They doubled their cap space. Now they didn't need to do it, but they felt like it was the right move from a salary cap perspective. Okay. So Kevin Stefanski spoke with you guys. It was it Tuesday, I believe, right? Yes. Yep. Some other topics that were discussed just briefly, because I think you always got to talk quarterback all the time. Uh, latest on Baker Mayfield and his off season and you know, how we're looking there. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's another big off season for Baker. And instead of last year, when all the talk was, okay, how does he bounce back from the regression of 2019? This is about how does he build on the progress of 2020, especially what he did after the bye week second half of the season, when he and Stefanski really got on the same page, they used that bye week to throw stuff out of the playbook to emphasize stuff Baker did well there was more of a comfort level in Stefanski asking Baker to do stuff and Baker knowing what Stefanski wanted him to do. So, you know, they have an improvement plan for each player. Baker's no exception. Alex Van Pelt, the coordinator slash QB coach, knows exactly where they want to work heading into the season. And expectations are through the roof, right? They've not only for this team, and we hear all the players that sign, right? Every free agent that comes in, Jadavian Clowney, talking about Super Bowl, Super Bowl, expectations are really high for Baker. And they need to be, and he needs to live up to them because as good as the rest of this roster is, if Baker doesn't perform like a high-level quarterback, whatever that means, right? He doesn't have to be Patrick Mahomes, but he has to be a really good player, right? If he doesn't do that, then this team will never meet the expectations. But if he does, and he plays in the same ballpark, is Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. All of a sudden, it makes a whole lot of sense when you talk about the Browns as a legitimate contender. All right, let's get into the draft now. I'm working on a piece uh, that's going to air next week, Scott, and I just went back to the past, going back to 1999. Put you on the spot, but I don't think so, because I'm going to guess you're going to know, but maybe not. Uh, highest 
All right, so highest would be picking first, right? So the Browns have picked first four different times, 99, 2000, 2017, and 2018, right? That's since 99. So that's the high number. What is the lowest pick that they have had in the first round since 1999 being the first pick? So I'm not talking about if they had three picks, for example, in the first round. Okay, okay. So so let's – what is the lowest – first pick they've had in the first round if that makes sense yeah um no i understand what you're saying i know there were a couple years when they didn't have one right the 2008 they traded a bunch or they traded a bunch of picks you're right Um, on 2008 and one other year after the after the odell trade right they didn't have a number one pick 2019 okay you're right spot on there okay um well we're 26 this year right I'm going to say that's it, Dave. Did they draft lower than 26? That is it. Okay. That's why I bring it up. Incredible, right? Yeah. This is going to be – now, there was the year with Najoku. I think mm-hmm. they got him 29, but he was like the third guy in the first round, right? Right, right. Yeah, that was uh, Miles and Jabril Peppers and then Najoku. Yeah. So, think about that. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. So, the answer we would be looking for would be 21. They drafted, I think, 09, 2011, 2003. They, 21, I think, was their first pick. But think about that. I mean, that right. says all you need to know. I mean, when it comes to the history of the Browns since they've been back in 99. I mean, I guess my point is, and part of the reason I, I was researching this is how the draft, it's just different this year. It's not the same old draft, you know? <laughs> oh no, it's completely, it's completely different. And even some of those years you mentioned at 21, like Oh nine, they traded down from five, right? They had five and Mangini came in and kept trading down. Um, point. So it's not like they won a bunch of games a year before. Right. And, and, and really they just haven't won a lot of games period. Um, so they're always drafting high. And, and that's why this draft has a different feel to it. Not just because, I mean, one of the different feels is because it's in Cleveland, right? So that adds something to it. But it's, number one, you're coming off the best year in 26 years, which adds excitement. But number two, there's not the same urgency, right? And you're not, I mean, even last year, they drafted number 10. And you can kind of focus, you can narrow your focus when you're drafting that high. And for yeah. years, we did, right? It was quarterbacks, or it was left tackles, it was pass rushers whatever the case was um, at 26, you just can't do that. And you have to be wide open. And I think you have to be flexible. If you're Andrew Barry, you have to have a bunch of people that you're willing to pick at number 26. Cause you don't know who's going to be there. Um, so I, I think there is excitement and whoever they pick should come in and have an impact you would hope, but it, it just doesn't have the same necessity. And, and that's wonderful because of what John Dorsey and Andrew Barry have done to construct this roster. So you didn't really get a lot of draft talk with Stefanski, right? He's leaving that to Andrew Barry, who's going to talk, I believe, Friday. Is that right? Friday, Friday, like 1145. Okay, so you'll get a lot more from him. I mean, and when I say a lot more, I mean, at (laughs) least at least there'll be question and answers. Uh, With Stefanski, it was just very little on the draft, right? He just basically said that uh, they're in their draft process and, and, you know, a couple comments here and there. Right. Yeah. He, you know, he's generally not very forthcoming with us and he felt he obviously saw that as an area that he could just pass to Andrew Barry. So he, he was glad to do that. 
you know, Andrew is a super nice guy. Um, again, doesn't want to divulge anything. And I understand that, but we should be able to glimpse some about the draft. Right. And to me, it's almost more about what he did in free agency, clearing, clearing him up, freeing him up to do whatever he wants at number 26 and at number 59, because there's not one need that jumps out of you, right? Left last year was left tackle. We knew they were going to take a left tackle at number 10. This year, we just don't know. Now, I mean, I, I would put the odds on cornerback at number 26, but if Greedy Williams is healthy, like the Browns hope he is, and Stefanski said he's gotten gotten good news lately, it reduces the need for another cornerback, right? You, then you have Denzel Ward, you have Greedy Williams, you have Troy Hill in the slot. I don't think that's enough. I think you need more depth. I think you want to challenge greedy in addition to having insurance in case the nerve injury in the shoulder isn't right and doesn't allow him to be the player he needs to be. Um, but there's not a, oh my gosh, we can't line up tomorrow if we don't draft a corner. Um, the same at DN, the same at D tackle, the same at linebacker. We go down the roster. So I, I think I expect Andrew Barry to talk about that freedom and you know, the whole philosophy of best player available, you know, that's kind of a Pollyanna thing, right? Because you are trying to address needs, but if the Browns are ever in a position to take best player available, this is as good a spot that I can remember them ever being in. Well, I want to break that down more though. You said last year, we knew they were going to take a left tackle and they did. Could you say that this year we know they're going to draft someone on defense? Can you, can we say that with the assurance that we did with left tackle last year, or is there an opening that they could go wide receiver or somewhere on offense? I would leave a crack of an opening <laughs> for a receiver. Crack. Just okay. a crack. Um, right. You know, I don't know. Is it a 5% chance that they take a receiver? Um, you know, maybe it's 10%. And the reason, you know, the reasons are it's a deep receiver class. Uh, they could use some more speed. I think they could use a, extremely quick slot guy. Um, you're not getting a Tyree kill, right? He's special, but a guy like that, a guy that you put in the slot and teams struggle to keep up with. And Jarvis plays in the slot, but he's not the same receiver, right? He's a more possession. He's a more physical guy. You can line him up outside, um, you know, whether it's Rondale Moore from Purdue or Kadarius Tony from um, Florida or two guys that jump to mind as just small, elite quickness kind of guys. And I, and I think the Browns don't have that at receiver. I, I think, and the fact that OBJ and Jarvis are turning 29 in November and they're making big money. So, you know, Andrew Barry's also looking for down the road, right? And that's in a bunch of positions. It's a DN, it's a D tackle. Um, it's a, you know, really across the roster, interior offensive line where he knows he's going to have to hit on draft picks because he's going to have to pay Baker and Denzel and um, maybe Nick Chubb a bunch of money. So you're going to have to, you have to have guys on rookie contracts who contribute and are productive for you. So all of that is to say he's kind of wide open on what he wants to do. And I think that includes receiver to some degree, but you also brought back your whole receiving core. There's no need to bring in a guy right now. And because the whole offseason has been about defense, I expect it to continue to be about defense. And 
would expect 26 and 59 to be defensive players, but I won't rule out the chance of a receiver. Quickly, any chance you think they would make a trade? I do. I mean, either way, I think they could go up or down. I think if the guy that they want, and I'll bring up Greg Newsom, the second Northwestern cornerback, um, a lot of analysts really like him. Um, really good numbers. Didn't give up a touchdown last year. Like his passer rating against was the best in college football. If he's there at 20 and the Browns think the Jets or the Colts or whoever might take him in the early 20s, Maybe they move up six spots or five, whatever that number needs, right? Whatever that sweet spot is. And you give up a third round pick and you go get the guy you want. I see that. I can see that scenario, whether it's Newsom or, you know, is it Jalen Phillips, the pass rusher from Miami or Quiddy Pay, the pass rusher from Michigan, whoever that guy is. And then I can also see a scenario where the Browns say, hey, we'll, rec- we'll acquire more picks and whether it's this year's draft or next year's draft because we believe in having extra picks. And if we have to move from 26 to 35, that's not the end of the world. Um, and we're in a good enough position to do that. So I, I really think Andrew Barry would be up to doing anything. Okay. So I think next week we'll really break down the players right before the draft. So I, I don't think we have time to get into each yeah. guy on, on this chat, but what I do want you to do is just tell me who are the main guys that you're eyeballing that you could see them taking at 26. Yeah. I mentioned Greg Newsom. I really have my eye on him. If he falls that far. Um, okay. Farley of Virginia tech corner might be the most athletically gifted corner in the draft, but he had a couple of minor back surgeries in the last couple of years, including one in was either February or March this year. And that's a red flag. And I don't know if the Browns would be willing to take another injury risk in the secondary, given Greedy Williams, given Grant Delpit missing all of last season. But he just might be too good to pass up if you're at number 26 and your medical reports are favorable about the guy. Pass rusher, whether it's Jalen Phillips or Greg, Gregory Rousseau out of Miami, pretty pay from Michigan if he falls. And then I, I don't think they'll take a linebacker. Dave, and I think we might have mentioned this briefly last week, there's a mm-hmm. lot of people that look at the Browns and go, they need a linebacker. I, I don't know. I don't think Andrew Barry feels that way. I think he thinks he has enough numbers. I th- you know, think he thinks he has enough talent. He signed Anthony Walker. He drafted Jacob Phillips. He re-signed Malcolm Smith. Taki Taki's here. Mac Wilson's here. But if you want to find that guy in, you know, that cornerstone at that position for the next five years, Kentucky's Jamin Davis is really attractive. And Tulsa Zavin Collins, who's a different type of linebacker. He's 260 260 pounds. But maybe you see this guy as unique and we can do so much with him that you kind of go out of your comfort zone at linebacker at 260 pounds and say, let's just go get a football player. Um, Those are the two linebackers I keep an eye on. Did you bring up the linebacker out of Notre Dame? No, but I'm glad you did. He's the other guy. Um, and he's got a long name, and I haven't written about him, so I don't want to butcher the name. But he's a guy that's that the more – That's the, why I set you up. I, that's why I said <laughs> linebacker out of Notre Dame. Right. The, the more I read about this guy, the more I like him, and the more I could see the Browns being intrigued by him. Because he's a little undersized, but you can, cu- you can use him in the slot. You can cover running backs with him. 
Um, maybe he becomes that third safety hybrid linebacker guy that I think coordinator Joe Woods would like to use. Um, so he, he he's another guy. I said two, but you're right. I, I think I should mention three because it would not be a stunner if if he's around, if the yeah. Browns took him. Jeremiah will uh, practice his last name and get back to him. <laughs> uh, how about the Steelers picking uh, what two spots ahead of the Browns? That always makes you nervous because uh, they do such a good job in the draft. They really do. And, you know, part of me thinks that they'll take an offensive tackle and because okay. they need one, and that's not a concern for the Browns. The other part of me says they always look for pass rushers, and they lost Bud Dupree in free agency, and could they take one of those edge rushers that the Browns are looking at? Um, you know, a guy like Gregory So I don't think fits because he's too big. Um, you know, Quiddy Pay seems to me like more true defensive end as opposed to the three, four linebackers that the Steelers use. But maybe Aziz Ojolari out of Georgia, who a lot of people like, maybe won't even be there when the Steelers pick. But let's say the Browns said, hey, we think this guy can play end for us, even though he's a bit undersized. I think he's the perfect Steelers 3-4 linebacker, pass rusher, and that could be the type of guy that the Steelers could steal from. All right, I got two more things for you, Scott, and then I'm done. Uh, Would you want to do a little rapid fire? Sure. All right, hold off on that. I just wanted to get that in your brain so I didn't just completely catch you off guard because I didn't (laughs) uh, let you know, but I love rapid fire, so we'll do a little rapid fire. But before we go – Tell me, and and I talked about this last week and we never got to it, so I I definitely want to hit it now. What has it been like covering the Browns during a pandemic, not being able to go into the locker room, having everything done by Zooms, not getting up close and personal to the players? It had to have been difficult for you. Yeah, it it was, Dave. And, you know, we've been doing it for a year now, but I can say I'm still not completely used to it. Um, It's just you live in that locker room, right? And you've been in there plenty of times. And there's a lot of times where it's boring and you're standing around and you're going, why am I killing time? I could be writing. I could be doing anything else, but you do it because a guy walks in that you need to talk to. You're able to talk to a guy off the record and just learn some stuff, whether it's about the Browns or about him or about the league. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to JC Treader about Aaron Rodgers, just because I'm fascinated by Aaron Rodgers. And he knows him so well. And I think that not only does it inform me, I think it informs my coverage. Um, So you miss the interaction, right? And then it's harder to write stories. And and not harder to write stories. We had access to players, but it's harder to write different stories, right? If everyone in my job is talking to the same people and hearing the same quotes, it's going to kind of narrow what you can write, right? The, and I think fans and readers want different takes and different opinions and different points of view. And it just is harder when the team to a great extent is dictating who you talk to. And that includes after games, right? I used to go in the locker room after games and talk to 12 guys. Well, now it's whoever the Browns get in, put in front of a zoom camera and that's limits what you can do. Now you try to adjust, you know, I got players on the phone. Um, you try to find different angles And luckily, everybody, you know, me and my colleagues, we all see things differently. So even if we had the same interviews, each person thinks one thing's more important than another person thinks. And you you come into it with a different perspective. 
So I, I think that allows a variety of coverage in itself, but not nearly the same variety. And you miss, you know, it's a new coach, right? I've met Kevin Stefanski two or three times. You know, I sat in his office once before the pandemic, kind of a get to know you kind of thing he did with a lot of the writers. But that's not enough to build, you know, a kind of a good working relationship. And he knows who I'm on Zoom because I ask him annoying questions every time we're on <laughs> Zoom together. Right. So he knows who Scott is, but it's not the same. It's not the same as seeing you in that room or if I need to follow him out of the room to ask him something or that he can see me watching practice and paying attention. Um, even though we're out there, we were far enough away that he probably had no idea which reporters were in practice. Um, and that's something I take pride in. Right. I'm in practice every day. So it just made it tougher. And I think it took a lot of the personal connection out of it. No doubt. And it's not just the interviews because when they put someone up at a podium, everyone gets that. And, you know, but it's, it's like you said, it's the extra stuff that you go and find. And I always found, and obviously I'm, I'm not going, well, no one's going in locker rooms these days, but you know, doing the morning show, you know, I'm, I, I'm not covering teams like I used to, right. but you know, I have definitely years of experience of doing it. And when I was on the road covering the Cavs and the Indians, uh, did preseason with the Browns and you're in the locker room, you also see things that people don't see at home and you can kind of base opinions and some facts based on what you see in the locker room. And, and then the celebrations, if they win, because for me, it was a lot of traveling during the playoffs and you really get to know the players, not know them like your friends or anything necessarily, sure. but you get to learn a lot about them when you're in those experiences and you're sharing those times with them and, and that's what you can bring to the people at home and that they're maybe missing out on now. Well, there's, there's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. Dave, you just can't, you can't convey the emotion because you're not seeing it, right? You're seeing Baker or Joe Batonio on Zoom 10 minutes after the game and they've calmed down and there's no, there's no context, right? There's no locker room with guys sitting at their locker with, the towel over their head for an hour, right? Yeah. Which we've seen, and it shows how much the devastation, right? The, how devastating a loss could be. Um, there's just so many examples. And, and you know, I don't know if readers would care about this or listeners would care about this at all, but there's so many times you go up to a guy after a game or during the course of a week and ask him one question, right? Because you're trying to get to the bottom of something. Or you ask six guys about a topic you're working on, right? Well, the, I, I, I can only remember a couple of stories I threw where I was able to have that kind of access where mm -hmm. you get a bunch of guys on one topic because it's hard to do on Zoom, right? The Browns aren't going to put somebody on Zoom to answer one question, right? And, and it's hard to get a guy on the phone to answer one question. So it, it, that's another area where it kind of shrunk what you were able to do because you don't have that access, because you don't have that freedom, just from a logistical standpoint. And, you know, who knows how this year will play out, right? And if enough people get vaccinated, do they let us back in the locker room? Do they let us outside talk to players in training camp? We don't know any of that yet. Um, but I certainly hope, and I know the NFL, the PFWA, right, the Pro Football Writers, will fight to regain that access because – not only are we missing out in my job and my job is harder, fans are missing out 
because they're not getting the same information and the access that you do when we have free and open locker room. Yeah. I mean, Scott, right now I can't go and do any in-person interviews. Uh, it's getting, we're getting closer to that point, but every story that I've done has to be through zoom lately. And I, and you know, we're almost done here, but to come back full circle from how we started this podcast was the off season program and how it's different right now. And I just wonder how much, not just in well, in life, obviously, but in sports is going to change because of the pandemic. I mean, there are going to be things done differently now because people are going to see that it can be done that way. And I think some of that's going to stick, whether it's good or not. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and I think, you know, when we talked about JC Treader and the offseason program, that's his, that's his whole basis is we were forced to do it differently. It worked doing it differently. Why would we go back just because we've always done it that way? Um, you know, and JC, maybe you'd make the same argument about letting us in the locker room. Hey, we did it and it worked, and but it didn't work nearly the same. And, you know, maybe that's maybe I'm kind of siding with the coaches on that where the coaches say, hey, we're missing out. And I undoubtedly would make the argument that we are missing out as reporters not being there. So, you know, I think you have to find that balance. I think you can't rush things back, but it also should, I, I think you have to, from a global perspective, find the things that did work better during the pandemic and because of Zoom and maybe you work from home more and that's great and it saves office space or whatever, but you can't just, you can't ignore the things that were lessened and hurt because of the pandemic just because, well, we lived without it. Well, you know, I don't know if that's a great answer if I'm explaining myself right. No, you you are. And I think what I've also realized is that maybe I, I might want to do a podcast sometime and just talk about different locker room stories. Because as we've been sitting here, I just was thinking of uh, many that come to mind. But I actually remember making predictions based on things, a look in an eye of a player or something I saw the night before to practice. Like, you know, it's crazy. I mean, you're not always right, but, uh, you know, it, it's definitely I just wanted to bring up that topic yeah. because. I, I just remember sitting there last year thinking, man, so weird, you know, having to do everything uh, different like this. So yeah, well, before no we doubt about that, it. there's no doubt yeah. about it. And it is, I think it is an interesting topic and yeah, those locker room stories are great. And you're right about the vibe. I don't know how many times I've been asked, well, what's the vibe around the team? Yeah. And there is a vibe when you're in the locker room four days a week. Big vibe guy was LeBron. I'm telling you, man, yeah. I, 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 I didn't cover them every day, but in the playoffs I did. I mean, I, I was at every playoff game, you know, over his career. And you you really could tell when that team was going to be in the zone or not. It's amazing. I mean, it goes back to last week we talked about, you know, at the end of the day, athletes are human beings. Sometimes you can really get reads and vibes like you just said. It's incredible. So, all right, well, before we head out, anything else you got uh, before I do rapid fire? No, I think we covered everything I want to, and we'll just go uh, heavy on the draft next week. Yeah, big time. Can't wait for it. All right, rapid fire. Here we go. Scott Petrack, and I won't hold you to any of this, and we can change answers as the weeks go on. Here we go. Will the Browns trade OBJ? No. How many Browns wins will they have this year? Um, <laughs> give me – Give me 11, right? 17 game season, 11 and six. 
11, I was going to say, don't forget there's that extra game. Okay. Not what player, but what position will the Browns draft at 26? Cornerback. Cornerback. Who will be the first pick of the NFL draft? Trevor Lawrence. I think everyone agrees that. (laughs) Who's the the second pick? Zach Wilson. Will the Browns make a trade on draft day or Friday or Saturday? Yeah, I I think they'll make multiple trades. Um, They'll pick up a couple extra picks in 2022. Um, I'd put the over-under. It trades at two and a half. Two and a half. Okay, nice. Will the Browns get Sheldon Richardson back? No, I think somebody else will pay him. I think somebody, he's too good. Somebody else will pay him more than the Browns are willing to pay him. Indians and Yankees this weekend, four-game series. How many do the Tribe take? Two. I've watched him hit too many times. (laughs) Two and two. Okay. Not bad. We'll take that, I guess. Although the Yankees are struggling. Hey, that's not rapid. I got to move on. Will Scott Petrack golf this weekend? Yes, actually, I'm playing Sunday. These guys I know, I kind of join them every once in a while. They do this tour, and it kicks off Sunday. It's only going to be 50 degrees, but I'm going to suck it up and go play. And finally, Scott Petrack, will it snow again in Cleveland this this season? Not year, because that would be, you know, the fall into winter. (laughs) You know what I mean. Will it snow again? No, I think we're done. Uh, Thank goodness, huh? Yeah, no kidding. That was really a... I mean, I, I know it does this all the time, and I've covered many drafts where it's freezing and snowing. But when you're used to running outside and playing golf and then you get that blast, it's always a shock. It really is. Yeah, it, it is. The only reason I told my wife, the only reason I was okay with it is I know it's only going to be like a day and a half. But if we had this for another week, I would I would not be happy. No, I hear you. I hear you. And, and we should be used to it because it happens <laughs> every year, but it's still a, it's still a pain. Certainly is. Well, thanks for having me again, Scott. Hey, Dave, it was great. Um, We'll do this again next week. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, we'll be back next week. We'll talk about a bunch about the draft, and I can't wait. So thanks a bunch, Dave, and thanks a bunch, everybody else. This has been a Zone Coverage episode.